You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. So John 3.16, to me, it's one of the greatest miracles there ever was. One of the things that makes John 3.16 so miraculous to me is that it's God's unconditional love toward mankind and Jesus' unwavering commitment to leave eternity. Have you ever thought about that? What, What it costs Jesus to step out of eternity to come into this world in human flesh. So he leaves eternity, he comes among us as a man, and it was done while we were at our worst. Bible says we were enemies of God, enemies of the cross. We were rebellious towards God. We were undeserving of his grace. It says we were walking in darkness that we were facing an eternity without God. But he loved us so much. Right where we are, right in our wickedness, right in our sin, right in our darkness. And he came willingly, joyfully. He came to give us exactly what we did not deserve. A savior who came to bring us salvation through his death on the cross. Now to me, that is miraculous. If you ever just stop and give that any thought, that is miraculous. The other thing that makes John 3.16 so miraculous is it's one of the longest miracles in the Bible. It is. To me, there's no greater miracle than the miracle of salvation. You can stand up here and, and, and we can have healing testimonies and they're, they're powerful, they're wonderful, but nothing moves heaven than when a lost one becomes born again. Matter of fact, it says that there is a celebration that breaks out in heaven because that is so miraculous. Consider the miracle of the manna and the quail that God supplied the Israelites following their exodus from Egypt. For six days every week, it says God provided manna and quail to feed the nation of Israel. And that miracle lasted for 40 years. And again, it's just a great example of God's faithfulness. It's a great example of his goodness. But that particular miracle, it had a starting point and it had an ending point. Just as most miracles in the Bible did. The miracle of salvation began the day Christ rose from the dead and it will continue until the day Jesus returns. The miracle of salvation, the miracle of God's grace that takes those of us who are lost and finds us and loves us unconditionally is one of the longest and one of the greatest miracles ever. So this morning I wanna use that to kind of segue into a topic regarding signs, miracles, and wonders. Because if you've ever read through the whole Bible or even just the New Testament, at some point very quickly, you will run into signs, miracles, and wonders. The Bible's full of them. Whether those are physical healings, people being raised from the dead, being able to multiply a few loaves and fish to feed over 5,000 people, 
a coin that, that was found in a fish's mouth that was used to pay the temple tax, the sun standing still, the Red Sea being parted, a burning bush that is not consumed, just to name a few. Many of us have seen or received our own signs, miracles, and wonders. My earliest remembrance of a miracle was when I was a very young boy, maybe nine or 10 years old. I just had an extensive surgery on my left ear, and they had to go pretty far down into the canal, and following the surgery, I had to lay flat in bed because every time I attempted to sit up and, and try to eat uh, anything, the room would just start spinning and I would become very, very dizzy and sick to my stomach. And so I had to lay back down immediately. And as a result, I just, I couldn't eat. I couldn't sit up. Day after day after day, this continued. And I remembered thinking, this is just never gonna go away. So at some point I had this thought and looking back on it now, I realized it was the Holy Spirit. And it was this thought that God could heal me. Now the reason that was so unusual is because up to that point in my life, I don't ever remember hearing anything about miracles, about healings, or that God would even do something like that. But for whatever reason, I had the thought come to my mind. Now, I, I remember the woman uh, that had the issue of blood. And, and if you read Luke's rendition of that, it says that, that this woman had this for 12 years. This plagued her. And it says that she, she went to every doctor and she completely exhausted all of her resources uh, trying to alleviate this condition, this loss of blood, this continual bleeding that she was having. And, and I've, I've talked on that, not just the physical cost of that, but the spiritual cost because she was unclean because of the issue of blood. She could never go into the sanctuary. There, there, were, there were many, many uh, consequences to this. And it just said she just exhausted everything. Every doctor, every resource, she could find no relief. And then it says she had this thought. If I could just touch the hem of Jesus' garment she would be healed. And as I've read that, I, I, I'm always amazed at that. She had that thought. Where did that thought come from? It came from the Holy Spirit. It had to. I mean, up to this point, she's tried everything else. And she's thinking to herself, I, I mean, maybe, I don't know, but I would be thinking to myself, it can't be that simple. I, I mean, everything that I've done, it, but she has this thought, if I but just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. And she did, and she was. So again, as I laid there in that hospital bed, looking back on that, I know that that thought came from the Holy Spirit. Just ask God for healing. I said I'd never heard of it, didn't really even know God did that, but I did. So I just laid there in that hospital bed and I just asked God to heal me so the room would stop spinning, that I could sit up and have something to eat. Right after that, I remembered sitting up in bed and the spinning stopped. I was so excited. I remember calling the nurse and they were actually nuns at that time, if you can believe that. And I told her that God had healed me and that I was hungry and I wanted something to eat. And she was so excited and she said, what do you want? I'll get you whatever you want. And I remember to this day, it was ham, potato chips, and cottage cheese. 
and I ate all of it. It took me a long time to eat it, but I ate all of it. It was one of the best meals I ever had. I believe in miracles. I believe miracles are real and that they are not just limited to the Bible, but that miracles happen all the time. So before we get too far into this, allow me to answer the question, what do I mean when I talk about a miracle? Now, one definition I found defined a miracle as a supernatural intervention in the ordinary course of nature, a temporary suspension of the accustomed order through the Holy Spirit. That's pretty textbooky. So let me kind of give you uh, another way of, of, of defining this. A miracle is something that is humanly impossible but divinely simple. I love that. Isn't that great? Humanly impossible but divinely simple because we know that nothing is impossible with God. In Young's analytical concordance to the Bible, the Greek word uh, for miracles is powers. In other words, the working of miracles, we could call that the working of powers. The Greek word miracles, according to one Greek concordance, means explosions of almightiness. I love that too. Isn't that awesome? It means impelling, staggering wonders and astonishment. So the working of miracles could be defined as the working of impelling, staggering wonders or astonishments or the outworking of explosions of almightiness. Before I, I, I get too far into this, the one thing I wanna just constantly, uh, to go back to that, is, is it's, it's humanly impossible, but it's divinely simple. And Kathy, I want you to come and share a story about what God just did for you recently um, that you shared with me, because again, it just, it, to me, it just kind of underscores the divinely simple. And the only reason I didn't give you a heads up, because I knew you wouldn't sleep all night. If you, yes, that's what I want you to talk about, yeah. Well, just so that that picks it up on the recording. Okay. So, um, a couple weeks ago, Pastor talked about casting your line with your worries and your concerns, giving it to God and cutting it, and not to worry anymore because God has it now. In November, Bill and I bought a truck. We had to because we were going to Minnesota and our other truck wasn't running. And so we were kind of last minute running around trying to find a truck. Not the best time to try to find a truck when you need it, like in two days. And we ended up in Albert Lee. We bought a truck. <clears throat> we handed over our truck, our title, and our money. For that truck, it was paid in full, took our trip, came home. The guy said, see on Monday, we'll have your title for you. Monday came, no title. By the end of that week, we were like, Bill was on the phone. Um, do you have our title? No, not yet. It's, it's on its way, though. It's coming. It'll be here pretty soon. Um, another a month went by. So now it was in December, after Christmas. Where is our title? <clears throat> no. Well, uh, it's either 
you know, somebody's, I'm supposed to pick it up today, or I'm going up there and I'm going to get it, or somebody's bringing it to me, and we heard every reason that sounded reasonable, but the title didn't show up. Meanwhile, Bill's asking someone, what should we do? And they're like, well, whatever you do, don't drive that truck. It's not in your name. It's not your truck. So we're like, oh my gosh. And another three weeks go by. So now it's heading to the end of January. Pastor has this sermon. Cast that line, give your worries, give your concerns to God. It's like, yep, going to do that. Got home on Sunday and I said, you know what, Bill? This is it. I'm casting it and I literally cast it. And I literally cut it. That was Sunday afternoon. Monday evening at 8.30 in the evening, this man calls and says, I have your title. Truth. The, the reason I like that, I love that story is because, again, what felt so difficult and I'm sure frustrating to say the very least, concerning, is once you just cast that out, now it becomes divinely simple. And, and God took care of that. The other thing that I want to just encourage you and encourage others is, is that God is showing you a way to walk, not just in that situation, but in every situation of your life where there is worry, concern, anxiety, whatever, because what God did there, he'll continue to do in every situation when we just take that and cast that off. The other thing I want you to understand and see is, to me, that's a miracle. And oftentimes, we tend to kind of discount or dismiss the little, the small, or what we may kind of perceive to be insignificant. When to me, that was very significant. When she shared that with me, I was just like, wow, that is really, God did a, a, a deliverance there in, in, in that way. He delivered you from your fear, your worry, your anxiety. We kind of freak out when we hear that word deliverance because we kind of, we've got Rosemary's baby or the exorcist, you know, we're kind of thinking that kind of deliverance and there is that kind of deliverance. But again, it's just that how God delivers us out of the little, the small, uh, those, those, uh, those day-to-day worries and anxieties that really can start to take a toll on us. And to me, that that is miraculous. Those are those explosions of almightiness that oftentimes we just don't give God the thanks or the credit for in the, in the, the small ways that he moves. Oftentimes we're just waiting for God to move in the, in the big, in the, you know, the, the wow, the razzle-dazzle kinds of ways. And we don't take time to thank God in the small ways that he's moving. So I just wanted to lift that up and I just wanted to say thank you, God, for being faithful to Kathy, and I pray that that would be a testimony to the rest of us who are dealing maybe with with things that we just need to cast um, and cut the line on as well. So thank you for that. Now, there's two things I want you to notice about those definitions that I talked about. Whatever one you kind of gravitated towards there in that definition is, first of all, we have to assume that there is a God who can perform miracles, right? Right? 
And secondly, it assumes that God has done miracles and that God will continue to do miracles today and into the future. Now again, this is important for us to understand because over the last century, or more, people have become increasingly more and more skeptical over uh, regarding uh, the possibilities uh, of miracles. Skepticism, disbelief about miracles is nothing new. As a matter of fact, if you go to the Smithsonian Institute in Washington, you will find there among many things is a leather-bound book and it's called the Jefferson Bible. Now, it was Thomas Jefferson's own particular version of the Bible that he read every day up until the end of his life. Now, using a razor, what Jefferson did was he cut and he pasted selected verses from the four Gospels in chronological order. And what he did is he left out, omitted, cut away every miracle and reduced um, every miracle found in the Bible, he just eliminated and deleted them. Now this is, this is a gospel, I would say, uh, Thomas, Jeff, Thomas Jefferson's Bible, it, it basically completely negated all of the miracles of Christianity. The incarnation of, of Jesus Christ, God coming among us as a man, he completely omitted the resurrection of uh, Jesus Christ from the dead. In other words, like many today, Jefferson rejected, flat out rejected, both the God who performs miracles and the miracles that were performed by God. Now the problem with this thinking uh, today is if miracles today are impossible, if, if God doesn't do them anymore, then to me the study of the life of Jesus Christ is kind of a waste of time because Jesus Christ is defined by the miraculous. Beginning with his virgin birth to his sinless life, to his physical resurrection from the dead, not to mention all of the miracles he had uh, done that are recorded in the Gospels during his three and a half year ministry. Two of the four Gospels begin with what C.S. Lewis called the grand miracle, the incarnation of Jesus Christ, God taking on flesh and becoming a man. So to me, if you believe in the incarnation, God taking on human flesh and becoming a man, then you should have no trouble believing that miracles are possible. Now what's interesting is all four gospels and they conclude with a miracle and that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The second miracle, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, is both proof of and the result of the first miracle. If Jesus Christ was indeed God in the flesh, then ultimately death can't conquer him and the grave cannot hold him. So all four gospels from beginning to end are filled with miracles because if the New Testament record is reliable, the gospels record a dazzling display of miracles that no other time or place in the history of the world could rival. In fact, one of the things that make the miracles of Jesus so amazing to me is just the sheer number of them. When you read the entire Old Testament, miracles, for the most part, are infrequent and rare. 
However, when you read the life of Jesus, he may have possibly performed more miracles in one day than were performed in all the centuries of the Old Testament put together. To me, the two bookends of Christianity are the incarnation and the resurrection. To put it bluntly, the truthfulness and relevance of Christianity depends on a belief in miracles. If I believe in Jesus, I must believe in miracles because Jesus was a miracle who worked miracles and continues to do so to this very day. So as we think about miracles in general and miracles of Jesus specifically, one of the most interesting things about the miracles of Jesus is they were never contested by his enemies. They doubted him, they questioned him, they disbelieved him, but they never ever contested any of his miracles. His miracles were acknowledged by the people who weren't even his followers. That's interesting to me. But see, what upset his enemies was not that he did miracles, but how he did them and when he did them. The fact that Jesus himself was a miracle who performed miracles, I wanna use that this morning to talk about several things. The first thing that this should teach us is it's important to realize and to understand the purpose of miracles. This may be the most important part of the message because it's only when we really begin to understand the purpose of miracles, particularly the miracles Jesus performed, that you and I are gonna really begin to understand and, and kind of begin to comprehend how God wants to use miracles today. And I'm gonna give you the three purposes miracles were done, particularly by Jesus. And then you will not only understand why miracles are still as much possible today as they were in the times of Jesus, but also how to distinguish between a true miracle and a false miracle worker because both can and are found in the church today. First purpose of a miracle is authentication. Jesus performed miracles in order to authenticate who he was and that what he said was absolute truth. Now, one of the terms used for miracles in the gospel is the word sign. Now, a sign, if you stop and think about, a sign is something that points away from itself to something or someone else. Turn here to get there, you know? So a sign, it, it simply kind of just points you away from itself and points you towards something or someone else. And so the miracles of Jesus were signs to point to the fact that he was God in human flesh and that what he said you could know was reliable and absolute truth. Let me just give you an example of what I'm talking about. There's a story in Luke 5 about four men who let a paralytic down through a roof of a house so that Jesus could heal him. And when they brought the man to Jesus, the first thing that Jesus says to him in verse 20 was, your sins are forgiven you. Now the Pharisees got very upset at this because they said in the following verse, only God can forgive sins. What, they say to Jesus, gives you the authority to forgive sins? Now, Jesus realizes 
They were really saying, okay, Jesus, it's time to put up or shut up. And so in verse 23, Jesus says to them, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or take up your bed and walk. Now, obviously, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven because I can't prove that. I can say to Val, your sins are forgiven. He can't demonstrate that. I can't prove that. But if, if Val is, is a paralytic and he's laying on a mat on the floor and I tell him, get up and walk, I can prove that. That's verifiable. And, and so Jesus says, which of those is easier? And then he says in verse 24, take up your bed and walk. Uh, again, this is the first time in this man's life, he's been paralyzed his whole life, he gets up and is able to walk home. Now that, that miracle was not only to heal a man's leg, but it was also to touch the hearts of the people to authenticate that there's something unique, there's something powerful, there's something different about this man Jesus. And these are the claims that he's making that he is God among us, that he has the authority to forgive sin, to heal, and, and, and so now people are starting to, to take notice of, of who Jesus is. And, and he uses that as an opportunity to, uh, to reveal his authority had come from God and his miracles were a way to authenticate that. His miracles were a way to authenticate that he had come from the Father. He was here to reveal the heart of the Father. And the miracles were merely an opportunity for him to authenticate that he was who he claimed he was. Now, the same principle was true of the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. Uh, look at Acts 14, beginning in verse 1. I've got the scriptures up there on the screen. Paul and Barnabas went to the Jewish synagogue and preached with such power that a great number of both Jews and Greeks became believers. Some of the Jews, however, spurned God's message and poisoned the minds of the Gentiles against Paul and Barnabas. But the apostles stayed there a long time preaching boldly about the grace of the Lord. And the Lord proved their message was true by giving them power to do miraculous signs and wonders." So again, there, there's the, the, the use of, of signs, of wonders, again, to prove their message was true. They were of God, and their message was from God. So there are times where God will use signs and wonders as a way to authenticate that the message and or messengers are truly from God, and what they're saying is true. There are times where God will use uh, signs, wonders, and miracles, again, just to demonstrate even to, to unbelievers that God is real. He is present, he knows your need, and he is able to do, again, what is humanly impossible because to him, it's all divinely simple. So there are times where God will use signs and wonders to authenticate that. That leads to the second purpose of miracles, uh, which is revelation. So he uses miracles to authenticate. He also uses miracles for revelation. Some of the greatest miracles Jesus performed were exorcisms, you know, which is casting demons out of people. On one occasion in Matthew 12, Jesus said to the Pharisees in verse 28, he says, but if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. 
And so the miracles of Jesus proved that not only has the kingdom of God come upon you, but the God of the kingdom is now upon you. And the one thing that Jesus did that just absolutely drove the Pharisees and the religious leaders absolutely nuts, and, and it led him to being crucified uh, early on uh, before his time had come, and that was his, his claims to be co-equal and co-eternal with God. Listen to the story in John 10, beginning in verse 31. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. This wasn't the first time they'd done it. And Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you gonna stone me? And the Jews answered and said, it's not for a good work that we're gonna stone you, but for blasphemy, because you being a man, make yourself God. Because Jesus had just said to them, I and the Father are one. To any Jew of that day, they clearly understood a statement like that was clearly blasphemous. To claim that you were one with or co-equal to God, these Pharisees picked up a bunch of stones at that claim and they said to Jesus, we're gonna rock your world, okay? Listen to what Jesus says in verse 37. If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. And Jesus is basically saying there, look, if you don't wanna believe what I say, fine but at least believe what I do. If you don't wanna believe my words, at least believe my works. There's a true story about a brilliant 19th century French artist by the name of Paul Dore. He lost his passport while he was traveling in a foreign country. And when he got to the border, he explained the problem to the immigration official and told him who he was, you know, this brilliant French painter. And the official handed Paul Dore a blank piece of paper and a pencil. And he said, if you really are who you claim to be, draw a picture of Paris with the Eiffel Tower in the background. And within a few minutes, he produced an exact replica of the city and convinced the official he was exactly who he claimed to be just by what he did. And that's exactly what the miracles of Jesus were for, to reveal, to give revelation to people that you are who you claim you are. The last purpose is glorification. The ultimate purpose of everything Jesus said, everything Jesus did, was to glorify his Father in heaven. After Jesus healed the paralytic, we read this in Matthew 9, 8. He said, when the crowds saw it, they glorified God who had given such authority to men. Do you know why this is so important to know? Because this will help you and I to discern the difference between miracles, for example, and black magic, between true miracle workers and false miracle workers. If you've been reading uh, through the Bible uh, in a year, um, if you're 
kind of up to speed, up to date. If you're not, don't worry about that. Just get caught up and, you know. So anyway, uh, Exodus. Uh, I never really kind of noticed this. I don't have an explanation for it yet, but I just thought it was kind of an interesting note as I was reading that I just thought that it was the first miracle that Moses did by throwing the staff down. It turned into a serpent that the, the Pharaoh's magicians were able to replicate that. Uh, so as I was reading through there, it's actually not that. It was actually, they were able to do the first three miracles. They were able to do the three first three miracles Moses did, they were able to replicate that miracle. It was the, it was the plague of gnats that they finally threw up their hands and said, yeah, we, we, don't, we don't have one for that. So, uh, so again, my point being is that, that Moses was able to do these miracles. You know, one of them was turning water into blood. They were able to also replicate those same miracles. But as it went on, it kind of began to separate the men from the boys. So I, I thought that was kind of interesting. So um, though Jesus uh, performed miracles, he gives this warning about miracles in Matthew 7, beginning in verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Jesus says, there is a day coming when many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And did we not cast out demons in your name and do mighty works, miracles in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now I think we can take away from that very scripture two very important warnings. First, not every miracle is necessarily always from God. Again, go back to the illustration I gave there in Exodus. Not every miracle is necessarily always from God, even if it is performed by someone who calls Jesus Lord. Now remember this principle. The message always, always, always triumphs the miracle. The message always always triumphs the miracle. The word of God always trumps the experience. If someone performs a miracle, but at the same time is teaching, preaching things that are unbiblical or not in line with Jesus, forget the miracle, forget the miracle worker. A miracle is not necessarily from God just because it helps someone. Jesus is talking about, he's referring here to people who actually did cast out demons. They prophesied. They did mighty works using his name, but Jesus says, I never knew them. They did a good work and their miracles did help, but it didn't come from God. The other warning we need to take away when it comes to miracles is making sure God is getting the glory and not the person doing the miracle. Very interesting story in Acts 14 involving Paul and Barnabas again. Begins in verse eight and it says, while they were at Lystria, Paul and Barnabas came upon a man with crippled feet 
He had been that way from birth, so he had never walked. He was sitting and listening as Paul preached, looking straight at him. Paul realized he had faith to be healed. So Paul called to him in a loud voice, stand up, and the man jumped to his feet and started walking. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in their local dialect, these men are gods in human form. They decided that Barnabas was the Greek god Zeus and that Paul was Hermes since he was the chief speaker. Now the temple of Zeus was located just outside the town, so the priests of the temple and the crowds brought bowls and wreaths of flour to the town gates and they prepared to offer sacrifices to the apostles. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard what was happening, they tore their clothing in dismay and they ran out among the people shouting, friends, why are you doing this? We are merely human beings just like you. We have come to bring you the good news that you should turn from these worthless things and turn to the living God who made heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. In the past, he permitted all the nations to go their own ways, and I love this. This is underlined in my Bible. But he, God, never left them without evidence of himself and his goodness. Now hold it right there, Lori. I don't want you to go to the next slide yet. The next verse he says, for instance, he's gonna give them an example. An example of the fact that he's never left them without evidence of himself and his goodness. Now if you didn't know what that next verse says, what do you think would be some examples that maybe God would point to as evidence of his goodness? Now see, I, I'm, I'll just be honest with you. Um, my thought would be is that, that God's gonna kinda just start you know, kind of boasting about the big things that he did, you know, the, the parting of the Red Sea, you know, I, I mean, just all of the miraculous things, the ark, you know, Jonah. I mean, to me, there's just like, wow, there's so many examples I could think of that, that, that Paul would use as an instant, as an example of God's goodness and that he has left evidence of himself. Now you can go, look at, what he, look at what Paul says. For instance, he sends you rain and good crops, right? And gives you food and joyful hearts. But even with these words, Paul and Barnabas could scarcely restrain the people from sacrificing to them. The reason this just stood out to me so much as I was preparing this message again is that again, like I said earlier, oftentimes we kind of just discount or, or God is, will do the miraculous. I mean, I don't know how long in those 40 years, you know, we know that, that you know, God rains down manna from heaven and, you know, at first they're just like, you know, completely blown away by what God does with the manna and the quail. And that's a miracle. But we know that it wasn't very long after that they started grumbling and complaining. In other words, they really kind of, they, they got so used to the miraculous that it really was no longer miraculous, right? And, and so we, we have that tendency God can be doing the miraculous, and to me, when the sun comes up every morning and it sets every evening, when, when I can go to bed in a warm bed, when I have clothes to wear and, and, and food to eat, and, and, and I mean, I can just think of all of the things I've always had, and because I've always had it, I can really kind of begin to just take a lot of that for granted. And we forget 
man, when God sends the rain and, and the crops are growing and there's, there's a good harvest, that's evidence of God's goodness. But see, if, if, we're, if we're so preoccupied with, with looking for the big, big miracles, the, the, the wow stuff, the razzle-dazzle, we'll begin to diminish, we'll begin to just take for granted all of the other miraculous things that God is doing. And, and I love that, that, that that's the instance that Paul points them back to. Man, God sends the rain and, and the good crops. I know, Dave, you would love that, right? Yeah, send the rain, good crops, good harvest. And, and again, we, we just tend to forget about that. We just tend to take that for granted. So Paul and Barnabas, you know, perform this miraculous healing and the crowds are ready to make them gods. And Paul and Barnabas quickly realize what's happening here and, and, and they, they just do the most physical, you know, kind of shocking thing, and that was just ripping your clothes. I mean, when you, when you ripped your clothes in the New Testament, I mean, it was meant to be a big, I'm, I need to get your attention here. I need to get you focused, refocused here. So it says that they, they just tore their clothes. And they're trying to, again, redirect the credit and the glory back on to God, who was the source of the miraculous healing. Whenever God is using people to work through, especially in miraculous and powerful ways, there is always that temptation to take the credit and the glory away from God, to shift it to ourselves or onto other people. Paul and Barnabas wanted the people to know and follow after God, not them. I always get a little queasy and a little leery of people who talk about or follow ministers or ministries more than they talk about or follow God. I'll kind of pick it up here next week. Um, I wanna kind of start talking about the process of, of, of miracles, um, but I, I wanna just to kind of begin to lay um, the groundwork um, for what I wanna talk about here for a couple of weeks because again, I, 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 like all of you here, I wanna see signs, wonders, and miracles, but I also wanna make sure that what's happening here uh, is of God. I wanna make sure that, that when God shows up, that God's getting the credit, that, that we're giving the glory to God, that we're not looking to any one person uh, as, as the, you know, the, the uh, the instrument of, of healing, it is God and it is God uh, alone. So uh, I just wanna just kind of lay the groundwork and just kind of start talking about that, especially if, if our heart, if our desire really is to see God uh, move in our midst in, in miraculous ways. I just wanna make sure uh, that, we're, that we're going after God uh, and that we're, we're keeping our focus on him, on who he is, on what he wants to uh, do here, and that we're, we're just here to just follow, uh, to be able to discern uh, his heart here this morning. So I appreciate Kathy, I appreciate Val Sharon here this morning because these, these are truly uh, miracles. I, I believe that God is in the midst of doing uh, a miracle uh, here because we're, we're looking to him, we're asking him, we're trusting in his goodness. He's gonna leave evidence there uh, and, and we're, we're gonna just continue to pray uh, even if it goes this week and, and things don't turn the way we want them to turn. We're just gonna continue to ask and keep on asking, seek, keep on seeking, knock, 
and keep on knocking. And so we just, uh, again, let's just go ahead and stand together this morning. Father, we just again thank you for the, just the, the many miracles as we just stop and think of the many miracles that have happened in our lives, both individually and as a body. Father, I, I, I especially thank you for the greatest miracle you have ever done, and that is to take a heart of stone and to give us a heart of flesh, to give us a heart that was cold and dead to the things of God, that we were rebellious, that we were at one time enemies of the cross, that we didn't, we didn't know you, we didn't love you, we didn't want to know you, we didn't want to love you. And in spite of all that opposition and that rebellion and that pushback, God, it never changed your heart for us. Your love for us never changed and it never will. So God, I pray for people here this morning who have yet to receive that miracle of salvation. Father, I pray that you would just continue to graciously, to faithfully continue to knock at the door of their heart. That God, your word says it's your goodness, it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. It's not your anger, it's not your wrath, it's not what you're gonna do to us once you get a hold of us, it's your goodness. You wanna display your goodness and your mercy. And you've done that for us through your son, Jesus Christ, who came and took all of our sins, all of our rebellion, all of our hatred, all of our darkness, he took it all, and he bore it on the cross. And you looked at what he did. And then you looked at us and said, it's paid in full. It's been done. It's been paid for. And all we have to do is just recognize that Jesus did it and he did it for me. As Lord, I just pray for anyone here this morning who maybe sees the weight of their sin, who feels the weight of their guilt. Maybe they reflect upon the shame of what they've done. And they've told themselves that there's no way God could ever forgive me. But God, I pray, Lord, that you again would just begin to show and to reveal your loving kindness your goodness towards them. And to let them know, Lord, no matter what they've done, Jesus' blood, his sacrifice upon the cross was more than enough. And Father, that they would come to be in right standing and right relationship with you, not because of them, but because of what Jesus has done on their behalf. And that, Father, when they simply put their faith and trust in what Jesus has done, that, Lord, they would come to know you as Lord and Savior.
So Father, I just pray, Lord, you'll move in the hearts of those people this morning. And God, move in our hearts this morning, Father, especially if we've taken for granted or we don't really see the many miracles that you do every day in our lives simply by just giving us another day, another day to live, another day of provisions. This is our daily bread. Oftentimes, again, God, our freezers are full, our cupboards are full, and we forget the miracle of all that you've provided to give us what we have. So Lord, this morning we just stop. And again, we thank you for the evidence that you've left of yourself and your goodness, God. And we give you thanks for that. And that Father, we know that the word tells us not to despise the little things. And it's often in despising the little things that we never see the big things. So Lord, help us to be grateful for the little things, the little miracles every day. We thank you for forgiveness as we celebrate that in communion this morning, God. Again, that we would never minimize the breaking of your body, the shedding of your blood. So Lord, we just ask for grateful hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.